Bonfireside Chat is part of a listener-supported podcast network. That means we have a bunch of other shows, which can be found at duckfeed.tv, like Watch Out for Fireballs, which is a retro video games uh, book club kind of show. There's Abject Suffering, which is a a comedy show that is nominally about playing bad games, uh, and a whole bunch more, which if you like this show, you'll probably like as well. Also, there's that whole listener-supported thing, which means there are a couple of ways you can help us out. You can go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv to kick us a couple of bucks a month. Go to duckfeed.tv slash tipjar to uh, buy some stuff on Amazon and get us a kickback that way. Or go to duckfeed.tv slash store and buy some stuff there. All of that is cool and it helps us out a lot. Now enough of that, let's get to the show. Some of our landings were desperate adventures. We are now prepared to meet the inevitable counterattacks with power and with confidence. This town is cursed. Whatever your reasons might be, you should plan a swift exit. Whatever can be gained from this place, it will do more harm than good. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And my name is Michael. And you're listening to Bonfireside Chat. It is a hunter's favorite. Yes, and this week we are talking about Central Yarnum, uh, more accurately the first part of Central Yarnum um, here, because it is a very large area. And as you heard, we are joined by Michael, also known in the Souls community as Vati Vidya. Um, This is a very exciting day. Thank you so much for being on the show, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. My first podcast. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah that, that's awesome. Like, uh, hopefully, hopefully we can make it a pleasant experience. Um, sure. Yeah, everybody who listens to this show, uh, I feel, probably knows your work. Uh, but just so we're not making that grand of a presumption, um, do you want to give just kind of a brief background on uh, what you do and why, uh, you know, why Cole and I and, and people who uh, are, are entrenched in the Souls community might be familiar with you? Sure. So... It all started a long time ago when I started making videos about Dark Souls. Um, particularly, I started making videos about the characters in Dark Souls, and I suppose that's what people will know me for. And from there, it just sort of progressed into talking about From Software games in general, and now we're up to Bloodborne. How did you... Um, so what, uh, what, what about Dark Souls made you want to, to do that? Because that was um, some of your early videos. I mean, there's a... You talk. You, there's one where you talked about like Isaac. You talked about a couple of other um, <laughs> series, but it sounds you you've really mm-hmm. kind of focused in. Um, what about that made you think that this was the the series? This is the company that I'm going to, uh, to dedicate this this kind of artistry and time to. Um, so I suppose yeah. Back in the day, I had a lot of videos that weren't about souls, and I had a lot of videos that weren't that great. And if you look back now, they probably don't exist anymore <laughs> because I deleted all the crap. But <laughs> but I was really fascinated with the stories of the characters in those games. And when I looked it up on YouTube, I didn't find anything that you know I felt like I felt like watching. I wanted to watch something that was sort of concise and told the story in a sort of entertaining way that didn't ramble on. So I just sort of cut it down into the essentials and made a series called Prepare to Cry, which was um, based on the Prepare to Die slogan. And I just told the sad stories of those characters and it did really well. And 
it's such a perfect medium for sort of storytelling because just like everyone else does, I just interpret it in my own way. And that doesn't make my way necessarily 100% correct, but it sort of symbolizes how everyone looks at these games and tells their own story. And the only difference is I put that story up on YouTube. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just such a brilliant game to talk about, as I'm sure you guys are experiencing <laughs> as well. There's just so much to talk about. It's so broad and vague and so much interpretation can be applied to it. Yeah. Something I really appreciate about your approach to this is that you're very clear to um, underline when something is speculation. Um, I think that that is that that is a wonderful stance to take um, and be up, and, and being upfront about that. Mm, it's definitely something that I forget to put in every now and then. <laughs> but um, when it comes to sort of storytelling, you know, telling a story about a character, it can be quite immersion breaking if I am telling a story that I'm like, by the way, this is speculation. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to work that in. Um, yeah. The best word for that is probably just putting maybe before whatever I say that's speculation. But thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It is. Uh, it, I, we can't really because I, I, I think that astute listeners could probably remember the exact moment um, when Cole and I before we did this podcast. And uh, so Cole was really into Dark Souls and I was getting into it and he was acting as kind of my, my Dark Souls Sherpa. Um, and we talk about it in the off time in our other show before we said, hey, we need a whole show to talk about this. And he was just like, I was circling around this idea that there was more to these characters than was on the page. <laughs> you know, I had I had gotten 60% through a bunch of quest lines with them. You know, like, oh, Solaire just disappears at this point? That's unsatisfying. Um, <laughs> and I remember asking, you know, like asking Cole about it. And he's like, hey, you know, there's this video series on YouTube you got to check out. It's called Prepare to Cry. Just Google it. <laughs> You'll find it. And it was just, you know, it is I can't really understate um, how that kind of approach and and that material has has informed the way that we work, because something you had mentioned and something that I'll, I'll often say is that I, I do feel that the, the Souls games are unique in that um, that interpretation does feel like a collaborative process. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I will, I will seek out a lot of different interpretations of a thing and then kind of synthesize that with my own experience to come up with what I think, you know, is like my headcanon or like my truth for it. Um, and having, you were the first person who I saw out there putting it out there in a, in a concise way that wasn't like just <laughs> digging through game facts message boards oh my God. you know or reddit posts or just kind of <laughs> nightmares you know yeah. um to put you know put out there and and also like most times i think that you're you're 100 on the money too um so it's it's been it, it's helped the show a lot and also been uh you know i it's it, you're one of the the few youtube creators that i watch day and date you know as soon mm -hmm. as a thing comes out i'm i'm right on there so um good work buddy yeah <laughs> thank <laughs> yeah. you i really appreciate yeah. that yeah, we and 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 people. Um, you are the most requested guest we've had on the show. Yeah. Um. So again, just want to ex extend a thank you for 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 lending us your time. Yeah, of course. Really appreciate so it. No. Um, Cole, do you want to say uh, what we did last episode? Yeah, so last episode we had our introduction, we accepted a questionable blood transfusion from a questionable man, and we awoke in an abandoned clinic in a hellish, demolished city called Yarnum. Uh, after being killed, we awoke in the Hunter's Dream and were given a simple mission, uh, to venture forth into Yarnum and slay as many beasts as possible. After all, that is what hunters do. Michael, do you, do you have any ideas uh, who that is? Do you think that that guy who, who gives you the blood transfusion? Any ideas as to who that guy is? We were talking about it a little bit last episode and, and couldn't couldn't come yeah. to any meaningful conclusion with him. I mean, it's 
It's funny, isn't it? You go through the entire game and then you kind of forget about him, but then you get to the very end of the game and you think about stuff you didn't figure out. And you, it takes you back to the very start and you realize, I didn't know what was going on there. <laughs> like, who leaves the note? Who is this guy? Who was I before I came here? There's so many mm -hmm. unanswered questions and I don't have a concrete answer, but I think it could be a big clue if someone ever does discover who he is. Um, the guy has the same character model as those wheelchair men who shoot at you. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, I mean, that just pens him as someone who's fairly inconsequential, just someone giving you blood transfusions in the hopes that maybe someone will awaken as a hunter. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. I don't... Did you guys... You didn't come up with any conclusive theory mm -hmm. or... Do you have a mm -hmm. favorite... <laughs> no, I, I everything kind of falls apart. Like I've read a lot of people online who have who have suggested that he's somehow like connected to working for or is uh German. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, things along those lines, but I don't that feels odd to me as well. Mm -hmm. Um so it, it does feel like a like not a red herring, but um kind of like lore chaff. Yeah. You know, in, in the air, like this kind of a uh, little bit of this dangling um, story thread to me. Like, I haven't come across anything mm -hmm. that I've found mm -hmm. that was compelling. Yeah. I don't know that I necessarily needed, like, a definitive answer or need him to be, you know, inextricably linked or woven into the lore and the cosmology of this. I think that him just being a really creepy assistant to Yosefka, um, mm -hmm. that that mm -hmm. works for me in a in, in, in a way, you know? Yeah. And he could, mm -hmm. we're not going to quite talk about Yosefka, but it's possible that his fate is you know, maybe he ends up, uh, <laughs> ends up Yosefka. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. That's, so I suppose that's possible mm. as well. Yeah. I'm not sure if we get to much of the Yosefka stuff, but yeah, yeah. yeah. We maybe, don't, we I, don't... maybe I shouldn't, this is a bit of a spoiler to talk about her at this point, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. We, for spoiler stuff, we, we, we won't get into the details. I think that last episode we said that there's something going on, you yeah. know, or that there's, there's more to talk about with her, yeah. but I think that's the, the extent of, uh, what we had mentioned, but that's that's my guess. I guess I could do a count, and that would be. I'm just kind of thinking out loud, <laughs> and maybe see if that it, the numbers bear out. Anyway, sorry to, to take us down that that side <laughs> path there. Um, so the the thesis for this kind of area, um, this is something we did back in the first season. Um, hopefully, we can bring back are these kind of theses, um, is that in this game you are going to be outnumbered, and the places you're going to be tempted to run to are just going to put you into further danger. Mm -hmm. um, this uh, like this first area really gave a sense of being overwhelmed, and uh, and just giving you a, a, the idea of the scale you're going to be working with in this new game versus old ones. Right, and this is this first area is like a wall. I don't know, like so, so, so Michael, what, like your experience with this, walking into it fresh. Um, how much trouble did you have with this area? Yeah, I definitely say that it's one of the most overwhelming first stages that From Software has thrown at us compared to the past ones. You're immediately confronted with, you know, massive mobs of enemies. There's definitely enemies in there that you're supposed to die to, like the executioner. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose that's supposed to teach you how to use different items throughout the level, like pebbles, um, <laughs> <laughs> luring mm -hmm. things away one at a time. But yeah, it's definitely one of the most difficult areas to start off at. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got that kind of thing with every um, you know if this is your your first Souls game, um, you know, because we we've talked about before, you know, spending forever in uh, the Undead Berg because um, you know the first time we played any Souls game, and Bloodborne with the differences in the combat and everything felt new in a mm. way, and I had that spending forever in the first area feeling 
that I hadn't had in Demon Souls and Dark Souls 2. Mm. And um, that's exactly it. It's like in from Demon Souls to Dark Souls, everybody says that, oh, Dark Souls is way easier. But that's often because they've played Demon Souls first, right? right? So they're yeah. so experienced already, they just think it's easier because mm-hmm. it's the game they played afterwards. But with Bloodborne, it really punishes that muscle memory that you've taken from the past few games. Um, not to mention the level is just harder, I think. Yeah. So it's nice getting that feeling of almost playing a Souls game for the first time again. Well, it's doing yeah. two things, right? Like any soul, any Souls opening area is trying to teach you new habits. But this one, especially if you're coming to it first, um, has double duty because it has to break the old ones. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, so uh, last episode we went up through uh, the lamp in front of uh, Gilbert's house, which Cole is evocatively named Gilbert's Gate, um, which sounds like a fantasy bar um, <laughs> to me. That that's actually what it's called in the in the guide. So, oh, okay. I'm pulling yeah. a lot of this uh, nomenclature um, uh, from from the guide itself, which arrived auspici- auspiciously, like on a Sunday, right in time for me to start putting these notes together. So, <laughs> the the guide I just got the guide yesterday, and it's very funny. Uh, then I made a tweet about this, but the enemy names are very funny because mm-hmm. some of them are like 10 times more evocative than I, than I thought they would, you know, they would be like the lost child of innocence and, and, and things like that. And then you oh, run really? into like large snake ball and like, <laughs> and like um, you know, a like angry manhunter. Like that's not actually the name of one, but they, they have these very simple, simple names. And then these very like, Ooh, hmm. you know, um, sounding kind of names and just in equal parts. It feels like, yeah. So, the uh, yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about Gilbert a little bit. Um, he's hanging out in his house. You can <laughs> hear him coughing from inside, and he's going to kind of be a little bit, um, or he can act as your as your guide for this first part of the game. If you check back in with him, he gives you information on kind of what to do. Yeah, he's like a stand-in for the crestfallen, right? He's he's plopped down there. He has resigned himself uh to some kind of fate and he is offering he is he is simultaneously telling you A, run away as fast as you can and B, you know, where you possibly should try and go first. Mm. Yeah. The um yeah, and and so you you're going to him with all you know is uh the seek the pale blood thing and he gives you this first thing where he says uh you know, he's never heard of pale blood. But if it has to do with blood, it probably has to do with the healing church and the cathedral ward. And uh, you should head that way um, because the hunt is on. You might have a chance to get in there. Like right. Ordinarily, you cannot. Hmm. And I never really understood that statement where he says you might have a chance when the hunt is on as opposed to it not being on. Do you almost feel like if there were less people in the streets and if they weren't all blood crazed, it might actually be a bit <laughs> easier to get to the cathedral ward? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have no problem murdering these people. If they weren't insane, then I, I almost think it would be easier. So I yeah, had a bit of trouble just, with that statement. But. <laughs> like just tip their hats to you and, and uh, sell, sell you fruit and stuff. Yeah. Bonjour. The, um, <laughs> you, you, I, just, you, you try and walk across town, but you're just waylaid by all the nice culture, the, the farmer's markets, the art centers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the, the, the Yarnum, burning werewolves. Yeah, the Yarnum home for wayward werewolf. Burning werewolf. The um, I I always took that to mean that um, ordinarily you, you know this area is closed off to the public and like you can get in in the chaos. Yeah. Um, you know, and that kind of when we talk about uh, the boss of this area or the boss that we're going to talk about um, in this episode, and uh, you know, you get an item from him that uh, allows you to buy an item, I believe, that allows you access. Yeah. So that's the only thing I could think of. That was an obscure reference to that. Um, so 
I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we will we will see as we get further. Um, things you know. So as you visit Gilbert, um, as we go, uh, he gets progressively. Uh, he opens up, but his condition also worsens. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to do like a, a you know special alert Gilbert check <laughs> on, uh, on every episode. <laughs> um, let's see what's happening in Narsh kind of thing. Um, but you know, we, so we we should talk about uh, now. Um, you know, the ways that things kind of don't end for him without going into specifics, I guess, mm-hmm. of the triggers yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, so eventually he gives you a, a pretty powerful item. He'll give you a flamethrower, um, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting listening to him that he just owns a, an operating flamethrower <laughs> and will pass it through the, the bars <laughs> of his window. Well, fortunately, fortunately, he didn't have to use it because there are no charred werewolves outside of his house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so some, something that's kind of weird about this, about this game, uh, is that there is time, like time progresses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, and so that is kind of a way to tick forward and ratchet through these individual storylines, um, especially for these people who are locked behind these doors. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, uh, so Gilbert eventually, um, you know, he's sick, he has the, uh, the scourge and, uh, and it overtakes him at some point mm-hmm. in the game. Um, we won't tell you the specifics mm-hmm. of how it happens, but uh, he actually, um, you know, has to be mercy killed at some point. He breaks out and progresses yeah. from uh, from the same disease. And that was for me when mm-hmm. I when I came back and saw that. Um, that was a, a, a real great moment because I I knew it was coming, um, but I didn't know <laughs> when it was coming. Um, what, and also, Gilbert's what, a bro. You in on that? I'm oh, sorry. What clue um, do you want in on that? Uh, once I figured out that things were changing with time, I was just making runs through the most NPC rich areas, um, you know, every once in a while. Yeah. And, there, is, uh, there is one point, there is one point where he says that he's quite confident he won't become afflicted with the scourge, which I thought was a really interesting statement. I think there's also a statement he says where he's, he can't walk, he can't stand. Yeah. Which also seems to be quite a common thing in Yarnum with all the wheelchair men. I wonder if that's sort of like an element of the the scourge. Like if it's transforming them, probably their legs, like their knees, are starting to bend backwards and stuff like that. Like it's mm. you know they're like the they're probably enfeebled because of this horrible body racking um, symptom you know syndrome that they have. Mm. And even yeah. in the sewers, you find enemies that have their legs removed or they're sort of crawling on yeah. their arms. So it's definitely sort of a recurring theme. Yeah, I was going, I was going to mention that actually that the enemies that that. Uh... The sewer enemies, where like it definitely seems like it, it kind of goes legs first. Like they say, the eyes are to go first, but <laughs> the, we we've taken care. We're one step ahead of you, disease. Um, mm. We've well, taken care of that. That's crazy. Ourselves. That's crazy, right? Because you know, think think about the dreams you might have had, where like you're trying to walk but you just can't. Oh yeah, you know, just kind of like oh my legs won't work, mm. and that has to do with like sleep paralysis and your body trying to move but it can't. Um, <sighs> and uh, the way that it's playing with the dreams here, that actually lines up really well. That's fantastic. I really like that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, <laughs> but, he, uh, he, 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 Buster busts loose, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, and you have to put him down as he, uh, totally succumbs. And that's the end of his story. Um, that happens a bit later, but as we said, we, in, in yeah. bonfire side <clears throat> chat fashion, we'll talk about NPCs when we run into them. Yeah. Um, when they're not the dollar German. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, yeah. So, so I missed Gilbert like the first time through, like I, I didn't know to look for these, to look for these pink, uh, incense burner things outside of houses. Like, even though I heard the coughing, I thought that that was just ambient sound. And the fact that NPCs were hiding behind doors was lost on me until well into this area. So I didn't have the benefit of Gilbert's guidance, um, Mm. for this. Yeah. Mm. 
it it's kind of easy easy to miss until you know to look for it. And then I was surprised by how often it comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit later in a couple episodes, we'll end up in the the lower parts of the um, the cathedral ward, and the uh, uh, there's that like alleyway full of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the big signaling things that this is different than past Souls games is like, oh, people live here. Like, this is not a post-apocalyptic game. This is a, an apocalyptic game. Like, this is, this is we are in the middle of the thing that leads to other Souls games. You know, like, th- this is the event that leads to the setup of other Souls games. Yeah. And we're actually in the middle of it. We just moved the window up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Which definitely a world that feels very lived in, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... When you start to look for the light, you start to notice different things. Um, we should probably mention that those those lamps outside, the ones that give off a glow, those incense burners actually repel the beasts. So mm. whenever you see one of those, it means that someone saying is inside, you know, that they've, they've prepared for the night, they have incense ready for the beasts. And sometimes yeah. you find lights on inside, but you find the incense burner has gone out. I think there's one further on in central Yarnum like that. Mm-hmm. And the woman inside is you know, justifiably more scared than everyone else you talk to. Yeah. Um, and with good reason, I mean, if the incense is up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It makes me, it makes me want to move to, to Yarnum and sell incense. <laughs> As a, like, I, I see a trade opportunity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wheeling and dealing commodities, right? Yep. Yeah. Once the legs go, you're wheeling. In addition to dealing. The, um, you're wheeling, I'm dealing. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, and that is not meant to be insensitive to anybody who is in a wheelchair. No, no. Um, unless you have like a blunderbuss pointed at me and then go fuck yourself because <laughs> I don't want to get shot. Also, um, where do you get blunderbusses these days? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got a blunderbuss guy? Mm-hmm. Um, so so you, you move on to Gilbert, and this is the last like explicitly kind of friendly face you're going to see for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of head out to this overpass uh, to this main avenue that is walked by these huntsmen with torches. Um, and uh, there's all these chained coffins as well, um, which, again, I, I, I wonder if you've got a kind of an idea on this, Michael, um, with the chained coffins. They're, they're kind of locked from the outside because hmm. the uh, Bloodborne doesn't have a, an in-universe explanation for why people are coming back from the dead that I can see. Like there's no there's no kind of curse, and this to me felt like FromSoft kind of uh, you know uh, zigzagging you, you know, kind of bait and switching you, where you have this idea like you're so used to, oh, the dead are rising back to earth. Like all the Souls games up until this point, they're more sophisticated in this, but they're kind of zombie stories, mm. um, and this is not that. Um, and this felt to me like when I first saw those chained coffins, I was like, oh shit, like the you know the dead are coming back to life. Um, I'd gone into Bloodborne as blind as possible, um, but that doesn't end up being being the case necessarily. Um, do you have any any kind of insight, or have you given any thought to those, you know, coffins that line the streets? Yeah, to be honest, I never really thought about the coffins that are chained. There's there's definitely some wooden coffins, and then there's the ones that are chained, isn't there? And mm-hmm. there's a lot of them. But you're right; there is no real sort of coming back from the dead example that you can cite with 100% confidence. There are corpse-like enemies, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, you know, that could explain the chains on the coffin. Hmm. Yeah, like, like you, we buried this guy because we thought he was dead, mm-hmm. but sometimes they're mm-hmm. not quite dead, and it's better just to forget about it. Which is a little bit, yeah. it's inverted from, like, what happened in Victorian times, which this is kind of based off of our cribs from, which is, we buried this guy because we thought he dead. He might not be, so let's give him a bell. 
yeah, the, the, where the, mm-hmm. the phrase dead ringers comes from. Mm-hmm. The, um, mm-hmm. is, is this kind of corpse bell, <laughs> um, which sounds like a plant. Like it's, that sounds like a poison to me, like a D&D <laughs> yeah. poison. Corpse like, bell. Corpse yeah. bell oil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so these, uh, you know, these this path quickly diverges. You get a uh, you get a little jump scare with one of these huntsman guys uh, coming out. But there's a couple of things this is kind of trying to show you, which is that this area is a little bit more maze like, um, you know, than, than than it would first appear uh, based on the fact that it has uh, streets and things like that. Like you can jump off of this little uh, this little ledge into a little square there um, and cut a little bit of time off of the area. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, but you know who knows what you're going to be jumping into um, at first blush before you actually go and see the other side of that from the longer path. Hmm. And I, I believe if you do do that, you're more at risk from the wandering enemies, which is a new element of a, a Souls game, really. Yeah. Having wandering enemies that can come up behind you and who are constantly patrolling, and it really helps make the areas feel lived in. But if you do decide to take that shortcut, you definitely have a lot for, to learn from a whole group of enemies coming up behind you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, th- those guys. Mm-hmm. Those guys. Those guys. <laughs> Driving you down an alley with no escape to a bigger crowd, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah which, mm-hmm. which, which I... Exactly. Uh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the enemies here are the kind of, you know, Soul's first enemy, um, you know, the equivalent of kind of hollow enemies. Um, but they are... They're, on the, the same insane slider, um, they are, uh, which is my new uh, restaurant item, my restaurant, <laughs> the, um, is that they are a little bit, you know, they're more human. Like they're in, they're clearly in a state of transformation or insanity. Like they, they have these kind of elongated arms and proportions that are a little bit off mm-hmm. to yours, but they're, they're still people, which is also a new thing to, to this game. Right. Um, and when, when you, and we mentioned last episode, how they talk, which is again, like, wow, mm. you know, that, that's, <laughs> that's something. And when they talk, you know, it, they refer to, I mean, you know, you're the one they're trying to drive out, not the other way around, um, which is really interesting. Um, we, we talk about a lot in the souls games about feeling like an invader to these pristine places. And this is so overt in that, <laughs> like you are the, the, the force here that is intruding, um, that, that, that sense is just very strong. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, this, uh, you know, we, we mentioned in the last episode that this game feels like Resident Evil four in a lot of spots. And, uh, um, here, um, it's, it's up there in the running. There are other places where it feels even more like it, but, uh, this notion of these enemies that are more intelligent than you would expect them to be, uh, kind of working together and doing things, um, uh, th- th- that are just kind of more clever than your tactics initially would, uh, would, would bear out. Uh, is is definitely reminiscent of that first uh, that first stretch in the village. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you run into a guy with a shield, and if you if you're going into Bloodborne, you know, blind like I am, I'm like, where where can I get that? <laughs> um, you know, um, but this is one of the early ways the game signals that you don't want that because these guys, you know, in just a couple hits will break their their shield poise and leave them leave them wide open. Um, these kind of wusses mm-hmm. are out there. Yeah. These huntsmen have a, there's a huge variety in what they, and what they'll throw at you, sometimes quite literally, um, in terms of, in terms of the enemies and the guide, uh, there are pages and pages of cutlass huntsmen, you know, gun huntsmen, like they, they, they get a lot of mileage out of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, initially so much so that I thought that there was a, a significant decrease in kind of enemy variety types. And that doesn't actually bear out to be true. It's just true for the first part of the game. It feels like, um, 
down here there's this little uh switchback shortcut that i think is fairly useless <laughs> like this this little alley that goes back like it's yeah. i was very happy to find a shortcut but it wasn't wasn't very useful because i would just be coming from gilbert's gate um <laughs> rather than coming from the uh the little churchyard graveyard thing yeah you almost go as far as to think that it exposes you to more enemies by taking that shortcut right yeah I think they yeah. might have put it there because it's right next to one of the most difficult enemies in this area, which is that executioner. Um, he's mm -hmm. definitely, you know, the Black Knight of the Berg. He's <laughs> one of those enemies you're supposed to die to, and maybe it was meant to lessen the blow from you oh, dying yeah. to him. You've just unlocked the gate, and you know, yeah. But it's not a it's not a long run back there, regardless of which path you take. So it, mm. it's. It's so weird that there's not a treasure behind him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or that like, he doesn't drop one. Like. Well, he he will drop. Um, he can drop uh, uh, an upgrade stone, mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. um, I think so. Yeah, but it's not a guaranteed drop like uh, like you get from the Black Knights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's not a set thing. It's either that or he'll drop uh, blood vials, mm -hmm. which are useful, mm -hmm. um, but not. You know, at this point, everyone's dropping blood vials. Yeah. I was like, I'll never need to grind for mm. these. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, just going to be swimming in blood. Yeah. The, uh, like like Scrooge McDuck. And oh. then uh, not the case. <laughs> Wouldn't that be Count Duckula? Yeah. Swimming Scrooge in blood. blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I saw it like, the, you know, opening this shortcut for as underwhelming as it is, uh, kind of it, it read to me like a low stakes way for the game to show you, yes, there are shortcuts here. Yeah. And you need to like keep an eye out for them. Yeah, I can I can see mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, but um, uh, but yeah, these uh, fighting a varsity level enemy uh, like this executioner, I banged my head against him, um, even though I was very much at the JV level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, previous he, Souls games have always set you up to think that if I tackle this incredibly hard enemy and if I succeed, then I'm going to get something, right? And even mm -hmm. from the very start of the game, when I don't know if you guys tried to kill that werewolf or if you successfully did, mm -hmm. but. That's something I hit my head against nonstop to try and kill just because I thought there was going to be some sort of reward for that, yeah. you know, similar to other tutorial bosses. But nope. And they <laughs> yeah. really further that with the executioner. So you should probably get it in your head at that point that the only thing you're <laughs> going to get from killing that executioner is the confirmation that that's one less divergent path I have to go down, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah. such a it's such a bummer because the um, the last game where they really did that was was the first Dark Souls because I remember with the Pursuer in Dark Souls Two. You know, killing him when he first shows up doesn't give you anything special either. Um, but what I feel like that's a kind of a missed opportunity because that's a, a really fun way to to kind of challenge yourself. You know, um, I wish there was a. I, I wish they'd bring that back. Yeah, I, I dig it. Um, so we're on this kind of main drag here, and uh, up and up and down the street, you can see more of these uh, these lanterns and uh, incense sensors, <laughs> and uh, you can knock on these guys, but these are no Gilbert. Um, these are just uh, people who are either will kind of mock you or, or deride you essentially for just being an outsider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this feels this feels like a, like a regular RPG, doesn't it? Like with townspeople mm -hmm. who uh, kind of just provide flavor text, right? Um, I like this. I like that they're there. Um, I kind of wish that there were more actual NPCs. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and their stead, but this does a wonderful, a wonderful job of, you know, further telegraphing how hostile this place is. Yeah. They're, they're so xenophobic. Yeah. Like they're, they're so, it's such an insular community. Um, and that is something that is not communicated in, in a lot of other ways in the game. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, other than explicitly to the player, 
um, as being an outsider. And that helps you get this kind of picture of Yarnum, what it's like when it's not, you know, just an absolute nightmare, yeah. you know, double meaning intended. Um, yeah. The, uh, it's a way for them to bring that other fader up, you know, just a, a different kind of hostile here. It's not just the people who are transformed and losing their mind and out for your blood that uh, that don't want you there. It's the actual, you know, populace as well. Yeah, nobody wants you there. Yeah. Like, you you know, um, and it, it, it helps you, you know, talking to these people like this was when I first got the sense like, oh, this is this is how this city works is that um, on some kind of basis, there's this hunt. There's this like nightly hunt that comes out and these people are, are terrified and like you get to see, I mean, a little bit later you run into it, but the way that people deal with this, like there's the one house uh, further down where people, it sounds like people are having a party <laughs> in there. And it reminds me of um, on the East coast in the United States when there's uh, like kind of blizzards and stuff, I've heard of people having like, you know, hurricane parties or, or kind of blizzard parties because mm-hmm. they have to be holed up. So they get together so they can do it together and just kind of celebrate <laughs> through this you know, dangerous weather event. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, uh, it's blackout babies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there's probably just like a huge Yarnum baby boom yeah. after the night of the hunt, like all these hunt babies. <laughs> well, you've seen all the cradles throughout the world, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just, yep. just deposit uh, into cradle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it will end. And this is, I mean, without getting into it, like there's other reasons to have babies in Yarnum. Mm-hmm. Like who knows if it could be the one lucky baby. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but up the street, you know, you get that patrolling uh, group of these huntsmen, uh, and they're all kind of following this bell toll to uh, the, the 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 striking set piece of this episode. Um, this kind of combination crucifixion and uh, burning uh, that is happening uh, of of one of these scourge beasts that you you know fought before, uh, but now uh, is, uh, is 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 out of commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- this is a huge group. Like getting getting past these guys is you know until you know how to run past them if that's how you decide to do it, um, <laughs> this is this is really difficult. Like you have to plan this encounter uh, really tactically. Um, you know, you're like luring people away, drawing enemies away has always been part of the the Souls games, but never in this number and never this way, kind of covering each other with ranged combat, mm-hmm. and uh, you know just kind of this overwhelming, overwhelming ahead. Um, that you have to deal with here. It's really neat. It's so concentrated too. There's so many different um, ambushes. There's the guy that's sitting down around a corner who stands up when you walk past him and he shoots you. There's, I think, two people who come out from behind corners and smash you with a with an axe. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some guy standing on top of a carriage who's ready to shoot you. There's a dog <laughs> that will kill you every time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Every game, the dogs are the worst part. Don't you agree? Yeah. I think I've died yeah, more yeah, to they... them than any other enemy. Even no yeah. matter how many times you play the game, you're always going to get hit by the, the dog. <laughs> and um, even when the dog doesn't hit you, it'll it'll stun lock you, so somebody else can mm-hmm. come and finish the job. The uh, and it, if you go far enough down this kind of right embankment, which is you know the, probably the best way to uh, to approach this encounter, you can hear that banging on the door as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's signaling like here's you know here's tons of people. Also, there's something on the other side of this door that wants you to kill you as well. <laughs> that is that is big enough to rattle this whole door. <laughs> like that's the size of a that's the size of a building. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Like. Good night. Um, <laughs> so this and of is, course, uh, there's an item in front of that door as well. Yep. Did you guys get yeah. scared when you picked up that for the first time? Yep. You sort of pick I, it up and then you're mashing that roll button like I could get out. <laughs> And yeah, nothing it, happens, <laughs> and you feel a bit stupid. You expect the door to smash open at that point, don't you? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Like yep. it, it, I love how um, the Souls game because there was a, for me there was a, a message 
there that said safe zone ahead. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they, you know, that, the whole idea of people lying being introduced uh, in the messages, you know, this kind of take a step forward um, <laughs> thing means that, you know, you can't trust anybody. And uh, and that, that just makes it very sophisticated. Like, is this somebody like, now do I believe this? Like, if, if, <laughs> if this message always tells the truth and this message always lies. Um, there's, there's actually a sort of added sophistication to that now because I don't know exactly how to do this. I haven't done it. But when you leave a message, you can actually attach an emote to it as well. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. you guys know that? So that little blue phantom comes up. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to do that. But I've often seen ones that say safe zone ahead. And obviously it's like, uh, a sheer drop to your death, but then the 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 emote will come up, and it's a guy going shh, like <laughs> don't vote this up, just to be you know yeah. to fool some poor guy. Come and on, that was really yeah. funny to me. Just like be cool. That. Just yeah. be cool. And now that we, now, now that we have the uh, the soapstone app, we can do that in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That thing's. Do Do you know about that, Michael? I have seen it a little. I tried downloading it on my Android, but um, unfortunately, it didn't work. Have you guys? Got it to work. I couldn't seem to leave a message. It's it's very poorly optimized, but it's a cool idea. It is a fantastic yeah. idea. I really hope they get it. You know, it's one of those apps that needs to become popular for it to get even more popular, right? You need to turn it on and see those messages around you. And I really mm-hmm. hope people start using it. Yeah, me too. Like I, I and living in like a relatively populous city, I've seen some. You know, it, it's worked okay for me. Um, but I just I really want to see it littered everywhere. Um, so. <laughs> Not quite enough for me. Yeah, and 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 here in Cincinnati, it is all just like beer ahead, like on the st- on the stadiums and stuff. And I'm like, oh, what's, what's we know? Yeah, <laughs> what's the, what's the closest? What's the closest landmark? Okay, oh well, yeah, the the stadium just and just beer ahead, beer ahead, beer ahead. Therefore, happy. What? <laughs> yeah, we get you, you drunks. Um, the uh, so so we're you know. Other than the kind of the way to approach these guys, like there's not there's not much to it. Like you know what to do. They give you pebbles here, mm-hmm. which is great because that's that's going to be your your aggro item of choice. Um, because unlike other Souls games, you have a built-in range weapon. But if you do that, it introduces this kind of auditory component, and uh, enemies will hear if you actually fire a shot at uh, at these guys. Yeah. So um, you kind of painstakingly clear these guys out one by one and then you'll end up doing it again and again and again <laughs> but this first time we're, we're going to go ahead and move past this guy to the other side of that door yeah. um, you know to see what was making the banging you kind of go through this fountain on the other mm-hmm. side I love this fountain the design on this is so great yeah yeah it's uh, kind of ringed with these uh, begging penitents kind of like reaching out um, for some kind of like alms I'm not sure but it's uh, it's super creepy and super gothic they want you to throw a penny in there Oh, yeah. Like it's just like all fountains. Yeah. The, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder what happens if you stand in there and drop a shining coin. Oh damn I'll it! Have to have to give that a shot. That's a, it's a. I wish other people could see your shining coins <laughs> in in the game because I like the idea of this like this you know this this leave a penny take a penny <laughs> on, on, a, on a, a network scale. Mm-hmm. Um, these these penitents have their eyes obscured, like they have their cloak over their eyes, mm-hmm. and the kind of statues we've seen on our way all have that that in common as well. Yeah. Um, so. Astute uh, players will will notice that as kind of uh, continuing with that theming. Yeah. Um, um, so let's look at what is making all that noise on the on the other side of that door. Um, it is a uh, a huntsman's minion, uh, also in pre release or before the guide, also known as a brick brute. Yeah, or or a brick troll. Hmm. I think is is what you referred to them as, Michael. Um, in there, which I I, I kind of like more than huntsman's hmm. minion. Yeah. 
yeah. Minion carries a carries a lesser connotation than this gigantic, uh, goofy looking guy. Yeah, yeah. I love this guy's like costuming. He looks like a like a porter or like a like a carriage driver, something like that. <laughs> um, clearly burst out of his <laughs> burst out of his clothing uh, with a with a stupid Hulk meets thing face. Um, and the fact that he is just kind of using this gigantic brick underlines how uh, uh, just uh, I, I don't know, just like there's no other word for it, brutish he is. Yeah. Yeah, I, he's good. Um, he's good visceral attack training. Mm-hmm. Like uh, these guys have fairly wide parry windows, and that's the best way to take them out. You know, more than you know, it's harder to stunlock him. Like you can stunlock him, but he can also he has a little bit of uh, that super armor, yeah. um, which is a mechanic that mm-hmm. thankfully like was really outlined in the guide yeah. very well. Um, the specifics of that. And, um, and, so he, and apparently you know, that's been a that that's been a, a, a things like forever. Yeah. 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 It's just really important here where like staggering is is much more important than kind of this like timing based block mm-hmm. combat. Yeah. Um yeah. The um so you head up you run into these crows um over here on the left which like the way these things move made me think that like cuz have you have you guys ever seen like an injured bird? Yes. Um in real life mm-hmm. because that the, they move like these things do. Mm-hmm. These kind of flying in these short bursts. Um, and kind of crawling around on the ground. And it just, I was just like, somebody saw an injured bird and thought, that's a monster. And, and mm. just upsize them for the game because the, <laughs> the way they move is very realistic to like a hurt bird. Yeah. Um, I don't know about that noise they make. I haven't heard any birds say that, <laughs> make yeah. that kind of noise before. It's the kind of enemy that I've seen people say, that's, I try to kill them before they start making that creepy noise. Yeah. And I totally understand that. It's terrifying. Yeah. Even just the, uh, the, the, the sound of them flapping is uh it's 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 mm. way too hectic i think yeah. yeah yeah it 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 also they do an attack there are two different kinds of uh standard attacks that like will come from enemies in this game that um like a strong word would be undermine but at least like subvert the the regain system um one of which are grab attacks which we'll talk about later um but this one is this kind of like death by a thousand cuts attack where they will do these little combos and it mm. drains your hp in such small discrete unit that it's hard to regain back from it mm. like if these guys do the kind of thing where they fly up and attack you in the face by the time you recover most if not all of your hp that you could have regained will be gone yeah that's uh, true and the game has sort of been training you to sort of jump back at enemies whenever they attack you that doesn't hold true for these enemies it's definitely mm-hmm. something you have to extend your weapon for and i'm not sure what weapon you guys were using at this point but the threaded mm-hmm. cane is really good for that yeah um i've really come around well. on the threaded cane actually you have or you haven't i have um, I, yeah. I, I initially was underwhelmed by it, but uh, getting further into this area with it, uh, it is fantastic for crowd control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still I still haven't hit that that uh, that epiphany yet because the, the um, I'm so so I get frustrated by hitting the walls next to me. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be in such an open area to mm-hmm. use the whip for him. Um, my first playthrough, I used the axe and then uh, my second playthrough, I used the saw blade. Um, mostly an extended form, just so I can get that reach. Like I, mm-hmm. I, it was hard for me to shake the habit of playing this the same way I would play shieldless runs in older Dark Souls games, which really overemphasizes, or not over, just emphasizes uh, getting the first strike. Mm-hmm. Um, which for some enemies like these really served me well, and then for other enemies that have more of that poise, um, didn't serve me quite as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's kind of great about these crows, um, aside from the fact that they're 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 they're, they're carrion crows, so they've been e- eating dead bodies so much that they can't really move, and that immobilization um, turns them into kind of landmines a little bit. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there there are not very many of them in this area that are placed on the main path uh, to get you there. But you you know, the best way to kind of deal with these is to not walk close enough for them to attack, because yeah. they're 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 not they're not going to make the effort to pursue. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. there's an enemy a little bit later who uh, also approximates something from a different kind of game like that, um, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a way that again uh, shows you the you know the different things that they're going to be doing in Bloodborne. Yeah, you know they, they are also, often guarding treasure. Sorry yeah. to cut you off. No, exactly. That was what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. When you start to look out for them, you realize they are guarding treasure. And I think in this case, it's the oil urn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So so you get to uh, you get to uh, live out your uh, not Vangaro, whatever those uh, Vandarian the, uh, the 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 No Man's Wharf guys. The Van Vangarian. Yeah, Vangarian. There we go. Vangarian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh boy, we're we're gonna get raked over the goals with this one. Um, yeah. The uh, so you kind of continue up. Um, of the you know, there's a locked gate here that you, that you can't get through, and you head up over on the other side of the fountain, and uh, to this this kind of smaller courtyard area, and a patrol just kind of walks down with dogs, um, which is you know is timed. For, for you to, to kind of run into it, mm-hmm. which I think is very cool and, and mm-hmm. pretty dynamic. Um, and is kind of a, a, a tough encounter, especially if you decided you didn't want to take out the minion because yeah. he will hear the sounds of the battle and join from behind, um, which mm-hmm. definitely helped happen to me at least once. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, if you don't make it through the area for the... Like, say you kill everything on your first playthrough through that area and you get the items that the brick troll is guarding the second time you go through that area you don't need to kill that brick troll that's what your mind tells you because you got the items he was guarding right (laughs) so the second time it's an interesting way to sort of introduce you to a new encounter with things that have been there all along really Mm -hmm. but that is that is definitely a place a lot of people died i'd imagine yeah three dogs a gun guy and (laughs) yeah about four hunters i think (laughs) something like that it's brutal yeah, yeah. It, it's it's very it's very dense, and then the game kind of takes its its final encounter before this boss and and saves it for the end here. Mm-hmm. Um, when you head up to the the bridge, um, because this this was my stopping point. Like I spent so much time on these things. You know, you head up the bridge. Um, this is the this is the the gate that you can see. You know, when you initially look off, um, this is that bridge, and uh, to the left side, you can kind of see this uh, you know pile of of church statues. You know these these worshippers holding candles um, with their eyes occluded, and uh, if you run uh, run to the other side, you can kind of dip down in the sewers, which we'll, we'll talk about. But the first thing you're going to see are these two. Uh, they're called scourge beasts. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the same thing you saw from from the clinic when you first woke up. But these are at full strength, hale and hearty, and not distracted by uh, corpse chewing. <laughs> and it's amazing so, how difficult it is taking out two at once compared to just one. It's not just twice as hard. It's, I'd say it's almost like four times as hard having these quick attacks come at you. So yeah, and, there's different and ways they, to take them out. Some people use fire. I tended yeah. to run past and get them stuck in a doorway further on. <laughs> um, I think even if you throw pebbles, you often get both of them to come after you. So yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, they chain aggro. For a while. They, they mm. and and they're so uh, they'll follow you a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, longer than you think. So if at this point, you know, you die to them and you get fed up meticulously clearing the walkway here, um, like I did, when you get to these guys and are just backing up for survival and to heal, <laughs> you're going to back into to 
surprises you left for yourself yeah. uh, by not mm-hmm. clearing them out. And it just becomes, you know, the kind of like I, I the weird the weird point, like I never got hopeless because I know how these games work and and I was enjoying myself, but it was I got very close to being demoralized with these things. I had a very hard time with them. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah, I uh, I just treated Molotovs like tickets across this bridge. This was the toll that I paid. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I I did that as well, but would run out, you yeah. know, because uh, Molotovs are mm-hmm. super, you know, are very effective. Mm-hmm. Again, I almost did a meme. I'm glad I didn't. Um, are very effective against them. And uh, but if you if you miss, um, you know, at this point, I think you have like six Molotovs that you found. There are ten. There are ten throughout Century on them. There's one before ten? the first ladder, and there's one off. Uh, off that first drop, that's a shortcut. Yeah. So you should okay. have ten at this point. Mm. Yeah. Regardless of which, I ran out before I before I could actually get mm. through, or I, I went uh, went through and died to the the boss, and uh, you know had enough times to not be able to use yeah use uh, Molotovs with abandon. For me, it was a, it was a matter of I'm not really doing anything with these Bloodicos anyway, because you yeah. can't level up <laughs> until you see the boss, and so mm. I just kind of took those whenever whenever i could whenever i had a safe spot and cash them in for consumables which you know is not really a habit that Mm. i was in in previous games using consumables like that i I was still saving up for a rainy day yeah you know i was like at some point they're gonna let me level up (laughs) i can tell (laughs) the um yeah so these guys um these guys are tough but as you as you mentioned michael you can you can lead them into a couple areas they can't get through um or you know you can set them on fire and you can use oil on them as well if you want mm-hmm. to, and that is is pretty effective. So one of those places you can run to is actually a, a kind of a, a broken section of railing on the side that leads you into this spooky, spooky house. Yes, um, which is in the the dark, and uh, you know you head through. You get a couple of standard kind of bloodborne ambushes, and then you run into the guy with the wheelchair, mm-hmm. uh, the wheelchair huntsman. Mm-hmm. Which I can't be the only person who was sure that this person. I mean, this is probably ableist of me in some way, but was like, oh, this is an NPC that will talk to me. Hmm. because he is in a wheelchair <laughs> like there's there's no way this guy is going to attack me yeah he's mm. in a wheelchair like i i really love that, that. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i'm sure i wasn't on some well, you know gross dark level of my subconscious i was thinking that can, can i but, can i absolve you of that a little bit yes please sitting down is not an aggressive posture and npcs get, yeah, tend to not assume aggressive postures whereas you know people who are going to kill you are usually standing and either crouched and waiting for ambush or something like that. I felt the same way, right? Just, yeah. be, just because, you know, he's sitting down here in the dark. This totally seems like an area where a spooky old man in a, in a wheelchair or not in a wheelchair sitting down. Like it doesn't even read as a wheelchair when you look at it like, Oh, like this guy's going to talk to me, but no, he's just going to open fire because he's a turret. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a mobile <laughs> turret. And, and, and we're not saying anyone in a wheelchair is a turret. Right. So, so don't think that we are making that kind of broad clock proclamation. Yes. In the, in the, in the, in the game, in the mechanics of the game, these act like turrets. Yes. No man is a turret. Yeah. Um, my favorite Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> song. The, uh, yeah. So, so he, he tricks you. And then, and then eventually I'd see some tons of notes that were just like, you know, time, time for beware of elderly and uh, things like that. Good going, guys. Good going. Yeah. yeah the, uh, but it's not the, the kind of like dreadfully misogynistic ones. Yeah. Like I've seen a little bit less of that in Bloodborne yeah. than in Dark Souls 2, which There's is nice. There's fewer women, though. <laughs> yeah, the, the, well, the, the, the bell reading, ringing maidens, or oh, the, the bell, it, bell ringing mm. women show up all the time. But people are usually just like, attack this thing. They're not just like, well, how can we use the message parser to <laughs> make this about sexual assault? Yeah. Which is mm. usually. There's a lot of statues it's common at, too. Yeah, man. That's true. 
Yeah. And people are big fans of the emotes that let them look like they're touching the statue. Oh, that's, that's true. Mm. Yeah, making contact with the statue, which is, to to be fair, like that's probably what they would do in real life too. Yeah. Like they just go to a statue and like, look, I'm touching the statue's boob. I'm going to take a selfie doing that. I love the, yeah. uh, the, the, the pictures of the statues where you can see the wear. Oh, on, yeah. uh, on on the places like you know like in in a like haha it's funny how sad this is kind of way like yeah. oh let's let, let's destroy these you know priceless works of art by groping them cool but uh yep. it, 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 there is a level of humor to that yeah um the, the the nice thing about this house is if you go downstairs and open the door this is going to be your good shortcut mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. back from uh gilbert's gate to uh to actually getting yeah. to the boss Something else that's kind of new in this house too is if you look over on one of the one of the bookshelves, there's actually a note. Like this is a straight up, you know, kind of Resident Evil style, um, uh, 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 like apocalypse log kind of thing. And this one explains how the healing church just kind of abandoned the town, uh, the, the town, and hold themselves up. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is interesting, like those things. We've run into those before. There's one in the, the Hunter's Workshop mm-hmm. um, in the Dream, but they're going to be out in the world, and you're going to keep an eye out for them. And a lot of times, those are the reward for getting your way to some kind of uh, unused corner mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. game is this little lorelet, um, which which my, I appreciate. But My reward for getting to this part of the area was to get stuck in between two cabinets <laughs> in the corner, <laughs> which was fantastic. I mean... Yeah. You, it's 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 a really long stre- stretch of game, and then you get stuck in between those cabinets, and it's like, well, not getting out of here. Time to use yeah. that hunter's mark. So There's, I don't know if that happened to you guys, but curiosity got the better of me. It it didn't, and but I saw your video of it before I did my second playthrough and knew to avoid that corner. Mm. Um, there's there's an area later where you meet uh, another NPC, um, where you meet uh, Eileen, that you can get stuck, um, like with a, a knee high little rise above you and you have very little room to try to jump and i'm just like just step up like this this makes no sense like you literally just have to take a step slightly higher than you're used to to get out mm-hmm. um and that took me forever like i thought i was stuck there and i i put down a bunch of warnings but eventually i was able to jump my way out um but yeah that's got to be demoralizing because this is especially if you got stuck in there right before you did the shortcut exactly it's yeah. Yeah. that happened it's the yeah. it's a hidden boss dreadful ikea yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. These these flarks will not get the best of me. Um, yeah. So th- this is the this is the good uh, good shortcut. There's another little thing off the bridge um, where you can go into the sewer. Um, a good thing to do. We're going to cover more of that next episode. Mm-hmm. But this first little area you can dip down to, you get some good armor. Yeah. Um, so it's worth doing before the boss. Yeah, it's a it's like an aqueduct kind of thing where it's full of rats. And also, yeah. kind of, you're introduced to this uh, this more transformed version. These large, large transformed huntsmen um, who are going to yeah. give you problems. Yeah, mm, especially but the saw, the, the spear wielding ones mm-hmm. in particular. The range oh, on that yeah. thing is incredible. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and around that area, that hunter set is really worth mentioning because it's one of those sets that even speedrunners pick up. They pick it up mm-hmm. in a different location, but the amount of damage it prevents, I believe, is really quite impressive. Yeah, it's close um, to double. You're you're yeah, starting. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's better than the than the Yarnum set that you can buy from the Bath Messengers at the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's really important in in a way that like because uh, up until this point, um, finding that bit of armor, like I found uh, no equipment mm-hmm. yet, and that was um, we talked about that a little bit when we talked about generalities, the kind of dearth of 
um, equipment items you find in this game and, and how that's, it's a mild bummer, at least to me, um, in that, like, you know, sometimes exploration rather than being rewarded with, with an item that would also carry with it, you know, lore connotations, I'd read the description. Um, I would more often find a consumable, um, and a lot of times a consumable I was already familiar with that may be handy, but didn't reveal very much about the world. Like there's not as much of that uh, storytelling through corpse placement um, as there is mm -hmm. in, in uh, previous games. I don't know if that that squares with your interpretation, Michael, or not, but that's something that I noticed about Bloodborne kind of in general. Mm. It's definitely something you realize in Central Yarnum. The experience just seemed so streamlined. It's just you get bullets, you get blood vials, and you get upgrade stones. And sometimes you'll find oil or fire. And that's a trend mm -hmm. that continues for quite a quite a while. Even, you know, with the weapons before the game was released, people were scared that I believe they thought there was only going to be like seven weapons. I think. Oh wow! And seven melee weapons or something like that. And people were worried. But then when you realize that those weapons have almost double or triple the amount of attacks and take a long time to master, you realize mm -hmm. that there's definitely while well, they 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 streamlined it a lot, but it's just so much deeper. Yeah. Yeah. combat because of it but i i agree with you i would like to read a few more descriptions and yeah. there's not as much storytelling you're right yeah and and the, the weapons the weapons being kind of deeper bears out in the guide too where like and as opposed to past you know kind of guides where there is uh just kind of a you know a brief note about what the item description says and a little bit about its moveset each weapon has a couple pages yeah. outlining mm -hmm. strategies and and you know, animation frames. And it, it's <laughs> mm -hmm. like, it's like high level street fighter. Like these yeah. are your hit boxes. These are your hurt boxes. You know, I mean, I'm uh, still discovering different attacks that these weapons have now. There's mm -hmm. backstep R1s, backstep R2s, mm -hmm. not to mention some weapons do transforming attacks yeah. after you've transformed it just by standing mm -hmm. still. So yeah, there's just, I'm yeah, still there, discovering new things. That. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like they didn't. They they got rid of some some complexity, yes, but uh, less than it appears at first because they just kind of moved it around. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I I still think I would have probably preferred something a little bit in the middle mm -hmm. of what they mm -hmm. did. Like I I like the depth of the weapons. I wouldn't have gotten rid of that, but I I do find myself missing finding new things to play with with a more regular regularity. Mm -hmm. A more regular mm -hmm. regularity. That's a that's a bad <laughs> sentence. With with greater regularity. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. Yeah, um, no. but this uh, this body that has the, uh, the 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 hunter set on it tells a really simple story. This is just a, a hunter who got this far uh, and failed. Yeah, yeah. He mm -hmm. he just well, well. Here's a here's a chasm. I can't. Um, if I ever <laughs> I found myself up. in a, yeah, he's he's it, it's like the end of the the prisoner. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the if I got to, uh, the fugitive, that's what I meant, not mm -hmm. the uh, the prisoner. Um, if I ever got to in a sewer and I was just stuck in a sewer and there's just a big drop off like that, like it's possible that I would also just die of. <laughs> of uh, hopelessness and despair, mm. sewer despair. <laughs> um, For me personally, I think that would come when I look through that tunnel and I see the giant pig at the end of it walking <laughs> towards me. Oh, yeah. That's when I would have called it quits, I think. Because yeah. when you drop off that chasm, you realize, huh, you don't take as much fall damage in this game. And that's interesting, too. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but you take uh, equally as much, if not more, pig damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's significant pig That's damage in this new. game. <laughs> yeah, my, my pig, your pig resistance is lower. There's always <laughs> been pig damage, but the um, so so if you, if you head back on up to the bridge, um, you get to kind of the end of the uh, the bridge, and there's this interesting thing that this game does with fog gates, mm -hmm. um, where as opposed to clearly telegraphing there being an enemy, a fog gate doesn't go up until you're actually in the encounter itself, um, which would happen very rarely in previous games, um, but happens very frequently now 
Yeah. Um, mm. and, and so, so, so the yeah. fact that you're just running down this bridge and then all of a sudden this screaming banshee that looks like an emaciated skeletal manis jumps down and all of a sudden there's a door behind you. Uh, it's a little startling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's time to face the, uh, the cleric beast. It's interesting that you bring up that Manus comparison because I saw that as well. And it's interesting for the first boss of this game to uh, recall arguably the hardest boss of the, the first Souls game, um, or at least one of the, you know, in the top three or so. Um, I definitely had that, like, what is this trying to tell me feeling? Mm-hmm. Like, that this, this so mm. clearly affects that. So. Yeah. But yeah, this yeah. Is, other than the appearance uh, looking like the end boss of a previous game, this this feels like a first uh, you know like a like a first boss of a Souls game, right? He's a, he is he is a large beast who has a who has a pretty pretty long reach, and uh, your trick is going to be you know mostly like the getting behind him and attacking is is still relatively effective, even though there are a couple more wrinkles to his moveset, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and similar to the first boss of Dark Souls too, it's often a fight against the camera as much as it is a fight against the boss itself. That was something I found a bit surprising. Um, I think the camera actually zooms out a bit in encounters like this, which makes it a bit better, Mm -hmm. but you're definitely going to get the camera stuck inside the cleric beast or the carriage. Yeah, Yeah. you have to master that. And I think it almost teaches you that with big encounters like this, you should probably be fighting them with the camera unlocked. So in a way, that does teach you a fair bit, and it's much easier to get behind him. And deal damage yeah. that way. Mm. Mm-hmm. He has two lock-on points. If you lock onto his head and fire your gun, I think it takes like five bullets from a from up, from an unupgraded uh, pistol. He will uh, get stunned and uh, open himself up for uh, for a couple of attacks. Uh, but that's a pretty expensive way uh, to uh, to create that opening. Yeah, yeah, mm. and and that that does that is teaching you something as well. So like, bosses now have. Uh, you know, weak points and stuff. You can you can hit his head enough to open him up for a, uh, a visceral attack, and you can also kind of break his legs, mm-hmm. which is which is really cool. And the the combat in this with bosses, like there's just so much blood. <laughs> that that sound effect, the like you're hitting a beast with a with a serrated weapon sound effect, mm-hmm. is like so. I mean, it's it's visceral, which is you know a word that has a meaning in this game, but that's what it feels like. Yeah, it, it sounds like a water balloon fight at the onion sma- onion smashing factory. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You just imagine some like some union foley worker just like <laughs> joylessly bashing two onions together in front of a microphone. <laughs> it's <laughs> a living. Like, yeah, just just like twisting a mallet into a raw chicken. <laughs> <laughs> just like. Uh, um, Yep. Um, this this feels so much like a uh, first order Souls boss that uh, even the arena evokes it, right? Yeah. Think about where you fought Taurus on that uh, mm. on that rampart, right? This uh, the, it's it's a pretty similar pretty similar arena, um, excepting the climbing on top of the tower bit. Yeah. Um, and and one of the weird things about this boss, so and this took me a couple of tries because I was still getting used to the combat and uh, because I had my resources drained by the run up. Um, here until I figured out the shortcut. Like I didn't actually think to go across the bridge because, or I mean, cross the bridge uh, perpendicularly, mm-hmm. um, because I thought that I, this is where I needed to go. Um, 
I had a really strong feeling like this is this is the the way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I died a couple times, but eventually, like now, I have I've had that mastery feeling of going back and just like first trying this guy on new characters, and that's been really really satisfying uh, for that. Well, I believe. I believe Gilbert actually tells you, you know, you have to find this bridge. It is the place that leads to Cathedral Ward. And then when you go back to him after this fight, he does mention that, oh, they've seemed to block it off. And yeah. <laughs> there is there is actually a door at the end of that bridge, yeah. which mm-hmm. recently people have discovered that it actually does link up with Cathedral Ward. And yeah. while it is openable, it's not openable on the other side either, but there is a prompt on the other side. Mm-hmm. So I think once long, long ago, it might have actually been a shortcut. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, I, the first time I saw that um, illusory wall, who uh, we've had on the show and who who does the mm. the kind of testing mechanics thing, put up a video of showing the other side of that door. Mm. Like yes. he, he marks it in uh, in it's glowing. You know, he puts down coins or something like that, and it clips through the door, and then he runs all the way to the other side, and you can see <laughs> the glow, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. How would, can you uh, can you talk a little bit about your first experience fighting this guy, Michael? Um, so my first experience fighting him, I think, would have been at a at a, um, a gaming convention here in Australia. Mm-hmm. I managed to get... Because uh, the Cleric Beast was the boss of that, that demo. And it's definitely a difficult encounter. My first few tries, I thought that the key to it was just simply aiming for the head and just killing him with those visceral attacks. Mm-hmm. But obviously, obviously he does recover after a little while, and that's the only time you can actually repeat that, only when he does the recovery animation. So mm-hmm. my first encounters were quite difficult with him i'd say but you do discover that hitting his legs is a pretty favorable tactic um because you can bleed them out and you can also bleed out his arms and i'm not sure if that has a effect on the way he fights you but it definitely staggers him mm-hmm. so yeah I had, a lot of trouble. I had a lot of trouble yeah he's i mean at the very least it, it does it does stop him from attacking for a little bit yeah um mm. which is nice um and, and also, you're just like kind of flaying the skin from from his bones there, and that's where mm-hmm. it's most obvious. Yeah, um, I love his design too because he has these stakes pinned to his hip. Mm-hmm. You can see these metal these metal spikes kind of sticking out of it, um, mm-hmm. which leads me to believe that he might have actually been restrained or possibly uh, crucified in a skate. Mm, it does yeah. look like there are some metal rods coming out of his legs as well. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I mean, these are the parts of him that you become sort of intimately familiar <laughs> yeah. with yeah. once you <laughs> discover them. <laughs> bro i know your legs the uh that, that makes me want to now that i know um like a little bit more about the geography he kind of comes from above i wonder if there is a uh, a crucifix up there that's maybe unadorned oh um, shit. yeah i haven't i haven't looked but it would be interesting to see if you can actually find the place where he, he escaped from yeah um do we uh so we we learn so after we we beat this guy well first real quick i want to talk about how weird it like weird it was to me that he's an optional boss yeah um you know we i talked about how i really felt like this was the way to go mm-hmm. um but a lot of these mid-game bosses are are totally or mid and early game bosses are totally optional mm-hmm. and uh i was really surprised by that like the fact that there wasn't a path that opened up after i beat him you know that I, that i could see uh, just was really surprising to me. Like, oh, I didn't have to do that. Um, <laughs> is is he one hundred percent optional? So I, I have this in the notes. He's optional for now, right? Because you still need to get his uh, his badge in order to in order to proceed. In order to well, get into the grand cathedral. there are different ways into ah, the okay. cathedral area. You can take a sort of it's a very out of the way shortcut. So I'd say for most people, he is compulsory. But mm-hmm. if you know that shortcut, that's hard to find later on than it is. Yeah. You don't have to do it, yeah. Yeah, but your point stands, Gary. That the like this is a this is a fundamental change to the structure. Mm. Yeah, 
That, I mean, that, that's what it felt like to me. And each of the solo games that we've played has had a different kind of open area. You know, like you've, we've had um, uh, Dark Souls 2, which had that kind of constrained middle and with the DLCs, like open ending, you know, but like the, the kind of the open beginning was open and the, the middle was constrained and uh, the ending was a little bit more open with the DLCs. And uh, Dark Souls 1, which is more open until, again, it constrains in the middle with Anne Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, here, like, it follows a little bit of the same suit, but the the ending of it does feel more linear yeah. than this and the beginning of it more open in a way that I, I wasn't... It didn't feel like it at first until I kind of saw the strings and realized what I did and what I didn't have to do. Um, you know, and, and, and you look at something like uh, Demon Souls, which is so open. Yeah. You know, um, kind of throughout. But this uh, this guy, so we, we learn a little bit about about this guy. Um, he drops the Sword Hunter badge, um, which is this. Uh, I think this is this is probably Ludwig who, who we're fighting, who's transformed um, mm-hmm. just based on his drop. Right. Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you what do you guys think about that? Well, I think in the video I mentioned quite objectively that it is him. But I think that's, you know, in retrospect, that's something I'd probably take back because while it does seem like it's him, you know, it, it, it drops an item that should be from him. It talks about how clerics became the most hideous beasts. And in another description, it does say that Ludwig, I believe, was a hunter of the church and mm-hmm. may have been a cleric as a result of that. But there's definitely no, you know, one-to-one, 100% confirmed yeah. it is Ludwig. But there are certain elements of the cleric beast's behavior that are sort of similar his, I'd say, mm-hmm. because every time Ludwig, the first hunter of the church, he would come out and lead these hunts. He would come out of Cathedral Ward and lead them. And it is interesting that the cleric beast as well defends that bridge into Cathedral Ward and almost yeah. follows the same sort of pattern as Ludwig might have done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's so many links there. Yeah. The uh, One of the big links that I found, um, or that I thought, was that uh, Ludwig, unlike um, some of the other the hunters, uh, you know, kind of relied on heavier weapons. Yeah. And stronger attacks, and that lent itself to the the way the cleric beast to me transformed. Like, he is not an agility mm-hmm. fighter. He's not, you know, he's not the the blood starved beast. He's not a, a small scrapper. He is is large and kind of does these these bigger slams and has these long wind ups, which kind of mirror the weaponry um, that you get from mm-hmm. when you when you get the sword hunter badge and you can get the um, you know the kirk mm-hmm. hammer um, and are able to do these kind of slower attacks. And then also Ludwig being alluded to so many times in the the kind of the game fiction and not finding another analog that that worked yeah. for me, you know, that I thought it was. So I, I agree with you that I don't think it's a hundred percent. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I feel comfortable enough to throw it into my my head cannon. It feels more likely in this game because the time window is so constricted, right? We're not dealing with, you know, heroes of a of, of a long last era um mm. kind of coming together in this place where time is relatively meaningless you know this is you know the, the, there's one particular npc that says that most of what we're seeing here has kind of gone down over the course of a lifetime right mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel like a stretch to say okay a lot of the people that we're seeing map one to one with these important figures that we're hearing about yeah mm. it's a, also just for me it is is more satisfying to have him be somebody than not Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize that doesn't have anything to do with objective truth. Um, it just has to do with like choosing a, a satisfying truth, mm-hmm. you know, mm. which which is well, something I'm known to do mm-hmm. in these games. Mm. Yeah. 
but it's it's notable you know like when you when you find this badge um and figure out that this uh that this cathedral ward is blocked off you know your only direction so far has been to find the healing church because there you know you have a chance of getting you know what you're looking for this kind of salvation right um when in reality it seems like this is the this is the source for where that's coming from as evidenced by the mm-hmm. fact that kind of their key hero possibly has uh has ended up you know among the ranks of what they were trying hardest to fight mm. or even the description that mentions that clerics did turn into the most you know terrible beasts yeah as well as hunters turning into more terrible beasts as well mm-hmm. um of which the church has both and <laughs> when gilbert tells you they have pale blood you definitely start to piece it together at this point <laughs> that it all originated with them yeah mm. Mm. Yeah. It sounded like you were going to say something earlier, Michael. I'm sorry if, if I, I cut you off. Um, I can't remember at this point. It might have been <laughs> something to do with the fact that the cleric, one one huge arm of the cleric beasts mm-hmm. might be indicative of him using really heavy weapons. <laughs> but that's something I obviously feel like not saying. <laughs> um, the, the, like, uh, isn't there a, the, there's a, pic, a picture online of, of a guy who, who just worked out one arm? <laughs> yep. Essentially, like, it's funny that you can yeah. do that in real life. Like, if you want to, you can just have one crazy Popeye arm mm-hmm. and, uh, and one regular. Or if, or if you look at a right-handed golfer, his, uh, his left forearm is going to be completely jacked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's a yep, thing. You see it in the tennis players as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, because he's, uh, if he's throwing around that Kirk hammer, um, man, I wanted to get some use out of that, but it was way too unwieldy for me. Yeah, mm. it's, it, I, I like that weapon, but it is, it, again, it reminds me, like, using that weapon. So we should talk just a little bit about getting this badge, because what this game does to reward you for, for killing bosses varies wildly. And one of the things that you, they do is they drop these badges, um, which are licenses to buy things. Like, it's like Final Fantasy twelve in that respect. Like, mm-hmm. um, you now have a license. The shop in, in the, the Dream will now sell some new items. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kirk Hammer, the Repeating Pistol, um, the, the Hunter Chief Emblem, which is... Uh, Kind of allows you to to skip an area and move a little bit forward without fighting uh, one of the tougher bosses in the game, I think. And then the uh, the hand lantern, which uh, allows you to emit light without using a torch. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I like most, the little details, is that whenever you get a new badge, quite often the messengers in the bath they'll hold a new item that symbolizes you getting that badge. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. for the sword hunter badge, it might also unlock Molotov cocktails. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one. But I know some t- all of a sudden they will hold the Molotov cocktail, the little messengers in the bath. You can buy Molotovs before uh, before this. Mm. Um, I, know, I, know what you, I know what you're mm. talking about, though. There is some kind of bottled item that uh, that they that they will unlock with uh, with a batch. Mm. Might be the the vile beast blood, maybe. Um, or sedatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's when they when they can start to grow hold sedatives. Yeah. Because uh, I know I bought a lot of those mm-hmm. from those guys. Um, frenzy the uh um, it, it could it could also be the um the pungent blood cocktail which is something we didn't sort of touch upon and the description of that is interesting it says that in yarnum people started started to almost consume blood as if it was more to- intoxicating than alcohol mm-hmm. which is both gross and interesting because yeah. <laughs> it shows that this blood was something to be coveted after mm-hmm. and yeah, and yeah. Uh, the, the 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 vital fluids and essences of people being commoditized like that is uh, mm. is 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 super horrific. Yeah, it it also reminds me of that Dracula that like I don't drink wine, mm-hmm. kind of uh, Dracula <laughs> line, um, and just the that, that being like the, the the slogan for like Bloodlight, 
in, in Yarnum or whatever their booze equivalent is. Blood, blood light. Blood dry. <laughs> like Bloodweiser Brewery. Blood, yeah. blood select. <laughs> um, <laughs> blood select. Like, quit trying to dress up your, your fancy pungent blood. Like, we know it's <laughs> it's garbage. <laughs> like, every once in a while, Bud will come out with their, like, no, no, we're fancy now. Mm-hmm. Um, drinks like when you're in the liquor store and it's like no no this is this is miller exquisite yeah. you know, or something like that and it's like dude like you're not fooling anybody like this is not like a delicious craft beer this is <laughs> miller high life the the lymph of bloods yeah um, <laughs> yeah it's just like now with only 10 percent plasma like <laughs> um, oops all platelets yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh Pabst red ribbon that's the only other one i've got that, that's pretty that's pretty good too <laughs> so. good uh good good blood blood puns <laughs> good blood jokes um our work here is done yeah the, uh well almost i know very, very close um so we had to find another way into the cathedral ward and, and we're going to find that um by heading you know more further into central yarnum um the next episode but having all of these uh these blood echoes um we want to head back to the um to the dream, and I did not notice the fact that uh, I gained insight mm-hmm. from the, from this boss. Did did you actually notice that, uh, Michael, or did, was that something that like you picked up on later? No, it's definitely a really subtle cue, and it's the sort of thing that when in the moment that you do get insight, you're kind of looking at something else <laughs> because yeah. the cleric beast just jumped over the the ridge there. So you're definitely <laughs> not looking at your character to go, oh, he actually glowed a little bit or, oh, my insight counter went up by one. You're kind of more concerned with the giant thing lumbering towards you. But <laughs> I thought it was just a sort of a, a just a mark where it triggered the doll coming alive. But yeah, you're right. Once you have one insight, she comes to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, once you put two and two together, like I had to Google to see what that, uh, see what that stat was called, you know, the one with the eye in the upper right hand corner. Um, the fact that it is called insight and, you know, you're, you're now starting to like that, that has an effect on the world or at least the way that you're perceiving it, um, mm. does more to lead into, uh, kind of the themes of this being a, a dream narrative being, uh, being the kind of horror story that it is. Yeah. The, really- the, the, or go ahead, Michael. I really like that um, the madman's knowledge is what gives you insight because it also draws that parallel between insight isn't just insight into the world. It might also symbolize me just going more insane right? or that this knowledge isn't exactly something you want to have. And it also yeah. clues you into certain like law points. Like as soon as it, you notice that, that trigger, because it's not just from bosses. Sometimes it's going into a different area or seeing something interesting. And it sort of clues you in when you not start noticing that inside point that this is something worth paying attention to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it's really underlining that, um, you know, and, and we bring it up a lot and we'll, we'll probably like the word, the, the words to watch out for, don't put these on your bingo card or drinking game for bonfires <laughs> to chat this season. If you don't want to die of alcohol poisoning are probably blood and Lovecraft. Um, <laughs> because that is that idea that like insanity is honestly just, you know, seeing things that are actually there, um, mm-hmm. is, is super Lovecrafty. And this plays into that whole kind of, uh, or, you know, really from beyond the, um, mm-hmm kind of storytelling uh that short story um i don't know if, you, if you're uh, if you're familiar with that michael I, I know that's not a you know other people have brought this comparison mm-hmm. up and the kind of relation to, to lovecraft stuff but if you're not uh not familiar i think that it might end up being interesting um yeah lovecraft yeah. is just shot right up there on the things to read list for sure <laughs> i'm not that familiar had you read much of his work prior to going into this 
Oh yeah, yeah, that, that <laughs> is uh, yeah, that, that's that's been a bit that's a, a long standing point of comparison uh, for me mm. between like a lot of things because he's just yeah. he's very uh, influential. Um, mm. Yeah, and one thing worth mentioning is that they hid so much of the Lovecraft half of this game in their their media and their marketing prior to this. So you must have been really excited to sort of uncover that <laughs> naturally. I, right? I, I was uh, I, I I was giddy. So I, I was beyond uh, beyond thrilled. It, it was <laughs> that, like Christmas morning lasted forty hours. <laughs> like yeah, I, exactly. Is oh they made this for me? Great! Like this this is uh, this is my favorite video game designer working with my favorite, uh, you know, one of my favorite authors um, essentially. Um, and when we talked about those those coffins um, or like way back in the beginning of the podcast, um, that's what is kind of interesting to me is the fact that this game does take kind of a turn, um, and those coffins feel like a bait and switch to that to me or they, they felt like it. Um, even though like a lot of times I was, somebody, um, on Facebook was like, you guys shouldn't have mentioned that there's any Lovecraft stuff at all because it's kind of a spoiler. And at first I was like, well, you know, maybe that was a, a gray area, but, uh, it's so, it's super telegraphed in the messaging system, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't notice. But if you actually look through the messages you can leave, that gives you a lot of, uh, kind of foreshadowing as to what kind of story we're going to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the cause, you know, the cosmos is all one and, and all of this stuff. And all of the insanity and uh, and and kind of keywords in that. So that is a good way. You know, is this all a dream? Like, there's a lot of the stuff in the messaging system that kind of clues you in. But I was not used to finding lore information by checking the messages I could leave. Mm-hmm. So it was still a, a huge surprise to me. Yeah, it's a, it's a an interface spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the nice thing, so the doll comes to life now that you have, uh, have one and she is going to be your, your emerald maiden or maiden in black, um, for this, for this game. And she, she is just there to, uh, to help you out, to look after you and embolden your sickly spirit by channeling these blood echoes. Um, she's got a little bit of dialogue. You can, you can talk to her. Mostly she talks about the, um, the messengers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Refers to them yeah. as the, as the little ones. Yeah. Which you know they're kind of her children is the way that she is the way that she has uh, started thinking about them and this whole kind of like hierarchy of you know what is over who I guess mm-hmm. well I guess that is a hierarchy is what I just <laughs> is what I just explained uh, but mm-hmm. um, this kind of uh, Russian nesting doll of uh, of who created who or who serves who ends up being kind of the linchpin of her of her narrative as you as you go along mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and and she lets you level up, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, uh, so yeah, so now uh, freshly leveled up, we are ready to head into our next area, which we'll do next episode, um, where we continue with uh, Central Yarnum, um, kind of checking out the sewers, the aqueduct, the dry duck, dry dock, and uh, and other areas. And in that episode, uh, we are going to be joined by CJ and Patty uh, from the Twin Humanities podcast. Um, yeah, but for for now, um, Michael, you know, thank you again. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, staying staying up late and and uh, and everything. Um, <laughs> yep, twelve forty a.m. at this point. Oh wow! Time zones with yeah. America never really line up that well, do they? But no, that's fine. I'd rather stay up late than get up at six a.m. like you guys did. <laughs> yeah, it's like also Gary tomorrow did. for you. Yeah. You know, so that that's a weird time travel. Like, how is Thursday? Yeah, sure. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell, tell, tell me how my Thursday is going to be. <laughs> Can you send me some lottery numbers? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like a very compact yeah. Back to the Future too. Um, the uh, where where can uh, where can people find you online uh, if they don't already follow you, which they should. But if they don't, uh, where can people find you, Michael? Right. So you can go to my YouTube channel, which is 
my primary method of getting content out there, uh, which is youtube.com slash video, which is V-A-A-T-I-V-I-D-Y-A. And that's where you can find me. I kind of wish now, I've never actually spelt out my name like that, but it's actually quite difficult to find, naturally, I'm realizing. <laughs> Maybe I should have chosen a different name. <laughs> can, can I ask you how, uh, how you got that, how you came to that name? Sure. So Vati is a character or a villain from a Nintendo series. And he was always my alias when I was playing, you know, online games like World of Warcraft back in the day, stuff like that. Um, and then video was just slang for video games. I wanted it to be something to do with video games. Mm -hmm. And they both have alliteration. So that's how it happened. Yeah. Who, who, what, what game is, uh, is Vati from? I think he first makes his appearance in the Four Swords Zelda game. Google oh, confirms. Okay. Thank you, Siri. Um. I've, um, I've tried to differentiate from his image. He's, um, I'm not sure how Nintendo feels about that, but I've changed his color scheme. I've changed the way his face looks on my avatar. I don't know. I think I've avoided a lawsuit there. <laughs> yeah. I hope, hopefully, this is not the, the, the path. Like, this doesn't end, this podcast mm -hmm. doesn't end up exhibit A oh, no. in, in <laughs> Nintendo versus, versus Michael. I know you expressed uh, intent. Yeah, the the. the uh, I'd also if even if if uh, if uh, Michael is too uh, too classy of a gentleman to bring it up, I will bring it up. Um, he's also on Patreon. Yeah. So if you uh, go to uh, to patreon.com forward slash Vadi Vidya, um, you can you can support his work, which uh, I I heartily recommend you do. Yeah. Um, you know because it is uh it is you're doing you're doing great work. Yes. And uh, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, and it's important too when people are doing good stuff. Like it's important to I think to to point it out. Um. Mm. Yeah. And and it was uh you know it was a you know real pleasure to to meet you and and in person and, and get to tell you that to your face <laughs> kind of shake your hand um <laughs> the the fateful San Francisco trip So yeah, so so Michael um, had to go. He very graciously stayed up very late mm -hmm. in uh, Australian Thursday time. Um, <laughs> in the future, we're recording this uh, very early on my my behalf on a Wednesday morning. Yeah. Um, so we just uh, you know we said thank you on air, but I just want to say again, talk a little bit of sugar. Um, <laughs> that, that that guy is is super talented and super nice. Yeah, and uh, he's great. I've been looking forward to it ever since I knew it was uh, in the works. And uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I've been thoroughly pleased. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is awesome. And hopefully everybody who's listening to it also appreciated him. And uh, I said it before, but I'm saying it again. Go uh, go support him because he mm -hmm. does wonderful work. And it, it would be an exaggeration to say the show wouldn't exist without him. Mm -hmm. That That's a little bit too far. But he has been informative to the yeah. show. And it's been great to finally get him on. And whenever, uh, you know, hopefully in the future, like if uh, if he had fun. And from puts out another game like this, we can we can yeah. have him back. A, a lot of the paths we walked down, he cleared. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, uh, good. You know, what, what a, what an amazing, what an amazing man. Mm -hmm. Um, the, uh, so again, we mentioned what we're going to cover next time. If you have anything to say about, uh, the rest of central Yarnum up to, and including father Gascoigne, um, hit us up at duckfeed.tv forward slash contact. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what else can people do to help us out, Cole? We have a Patreon. So if you like the work that we're doing, if you're new and you haven't heard this pitch before, uh, there uh, you can go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Uh, we just crossed our uh, uh, kind of last milestone 
Um, thanks to everybody's generosity so far, but there are going to be more coming down the uh, down the way. Kicking us, uh, you know, as little as a as a dollar a month gets you into um, some uh, content that you otherwise would not see, and there's a whole uh, list of other kind of reward tiers that you can get access to, um, and that goes uh, a long way towards uh, helping make this kind of possible for us to do without uh, without undue financial hardship. Yeah, the, the, the podcast is, you know, we're committed. We're never going to make it cost money. We're committed to the show being free, um, but it's not free for us. And uh, and that Patreon helps it not, you know, cost us a bunch of money because we don't, you know, we don't we don't make a lot of money off of this. Yeah. Um, you know, it costs a lot of money to do. And the uh, so an example of that, just if you are a patron or thinking about it and you want a concrete example, um, you know, Patreon money allowed me to fly down to the Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin event in which I met Michael and kind of brokered this appearance. Like, I, you know, broker makes it sound like <laughs> I had to make an offering or something like that. But I yeah. just met it, you know, met him in person and talked to him and stuff and, and was able to kind of arrange this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is not an exaggeration to say that that might not have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we weren't able to do that without your support. Yeah. So I, I don't say that to, to hold a, a, a sword over your head mm-hmm. with it. I do say it just to say that if you have decided to help us out that way, it is meaningful in concrete ways. Yeah. And if you have not decided to help us out that way because you fear it won't be, um, it will be. Right. But whatever you can afford, you know, times are tough, we understand. If you can't afford to, uh, to support us financially, um, you know, head on over to iTunes, leave us a, a rating or review. We really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That helps us stay in the public eye. Yeah. We've been on the charts for <laughs> for a while, kind of off and on. Kind of and, the longest we've ever been on the charts. Yeah, and those those iTunes charts are mercurial and weird, and we've never mm-hmm. quite figured them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 success on there has been fleeting, but mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. But maybe this is the you know the season that that keeps us as a, a mainstay mm-hmm. on there, uh, with such luminaries as like one up yours and these dead corpses. You know, uh, Dra- Dragon Age Two, the podcast, <laughs> yep. um, the ghost I, ghost it, of podcast past, uh, just clogging our way. I don't even know how those get on there. Like, who's the first, like, I mean, one of yours is great. Like, those yeah. are great shows, but like, it's just amazing to me that they have these tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, if you, if you can't do that, if you're not a fan of iTunes, which I don't blame you, mm-hmm. um, tell a friend. Yeah. Like if, if you know somebody either, either physically or digitally, tell some people if you think that they would like the show. Yeah. It's always wonderful when we see people tweeting about us as well, you know, like not just from a vanity, uh, uh side, but to, uh, to, to know what that does to help spread the word. <sighs> people find out about, uh, uh, the, the show and even kind of get into souls, uh, through this. So, um, if you, if you like something, the best thing you can do, uh, aside from support it directly with, you know, money, um, is to, uh, help spread the word and get more attention to it. So that is, that is much appreciated for everybody who has done it so far and for everybody who might consider doing it now. Yeah. It feels great. Also, like it just like, it, it feels very good to have people, uh, spread the word. Mm -hmm. Um, because we're both uh, at least a little bit queasy about self-promotion, even though it doesn't sound like it based on this. But that was that was a that was a hard, hard fought <laughs> skill yeah. that we had. So um, we appreciate help with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably about it. Yeah, um, um, we have new podcast art, actually. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah, that was uh, uh, made for us by uh, a, a listener, Adam Bucheri. You can find his work at uh, adambucheri.com. Um, we are incredibly grateful to Nick Daniel, um, who did our previous podcast art with, that is more Dark Souls-themed. Um, mm-hmm. Nick Daniel of uh, Latchkey Kingdom, uh, the webcomic. We're going to find a way to use both of those pieces of art 
um it, you know just because we are still a Bloodborne pod or we are still a dark souls podcast um but um you know it is uh it, it is more appropriate to have Bloodborne here right now yeah we you know might change it out from time to time but it doesn't mean we don't appreciate all of the art we received yeah um yeah so thanks everybody for that and uh yeah until uh until next time uh what should they do cole they should fear the old blood because a hunter is never alone We all pray that we will have far more soon. Mm-hmm. I still, I still really think that there's a lot of things we can like. This is the most <laughs> sign-off rich game that we've had because, like, fear of the old blood. Um, see, you know, may the may the good blood guide you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much. Yeah, I, I, I like fear of the old blood because uh, because it's on the back of the guide. Yeah, that's yeah. true too. It's uh it it is it is approach something approaching a tagline. Although yeah. you are you are right. So we can we can change it up. It doesn't have yeah. to be as ubiquitous as 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 Umbasa. And we're still gonna slip in Umbasas because we can't not <laughs> we we say that and watch out for fireballs. I you know, I'm I'm always saying it to, to my girlfriend, <laughs> bringing it up in class. Like it is hard not to say Umbasa when she starts saying Umbasa. In class? <laughs>